Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him? And the son of man that thou dost care for him? Thou hast made him a little lower than yourself, and hast crowned him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, <laughs> how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Hallelujah. mindful even of us. Praise God. Praise God. The fabric softener of the Holy Ghost is here tonight. And he's softening the fabric of our hearts. Show us how big he is and how little we are. <coughs> he must increase and we must decrease. Hallelujah. some tissues tonight. I'm sure we'll need it. <laughs> I'm not sure if you have tissue boxes around somewhere, but oh, glory to God. Before we get started tonight, I just want to extend from my wife and I uh, our appreciation to pastor and his wife and the staff and elders and all of you for making us feel like a family here. Hallelujah. 
and just going out of your way about the little things and being a blessing to us and getting behind us and all the gifts to the ministry. We really appreciate it. We really do. Hallelujah. And I know that our hearts are being dovetailed together for a mighty explosion of the Lord's grace in this hour. Hallelujah. We love you. Praise God. Receive it. <laughs> Tonight we want to talk more about fully following the Lord with all of our hearts. You have your Bibles. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 14. The people are, the children of Israel are rebelling because they saw the giants in the land. Moses is pleading for them. Verse 9, it says, Only do not rebel against the Lord, do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Can you imagine that? Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting, and to all the sons of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe me or have faith in me? despite all the signs which I performed in their midst. So God's thinking about wiping them out and starting a new race through Moses. In verse 20, Moses intercedes, and the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's what we're moving toward, brothers and sisters. The glory of God has become a strong manifestation that our mortal bodies will need to have layers of asbestos, a firewall built inside of us to handle this realm of glory that's going to happen. There was a lady that came to me this morning and asked me after the message, said, how is it in Montreal that people do not get tired in those three weeks? And those people had to stay up all night to go to work the next day. And I said, well, I just believe it's the glory of God. God's glory came on Moses and he was on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking or sleeping. And I've just, my personally, myself, I've only experienced just a small fringe of that glory realm. Hallelujah. We're getting closer, folks. We really are. Listen, this thing, we can't stop this thing. The avalanche has already begun. We, can, we can't go back. The ball has already been set in motion. The pendulum is swinging. We have to move and change quickly, quickly, quickly. When Brother Solomon comes, we're going to another level of glory. And who knows what's going to happen the next week after that. This week, as God is, as I mentioned to the pastor, God's doing an excavation work in our hearts. Why? Because he's a jealous God. He gave his best, now he wants our best. And he loves us. Hallelujah. Woo! All the earth is to be filled with the glory of God. Surely all the men, verse 22 who have seen my glory and my signs which I have formed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice. Can you imagine? Even during the realm of glory, when God's glory comes, there's still people, people there that will not believe and yield. I don't want to be a part of that lot. Amen? I don't want to be like my stiff-necked relatives. Amen? Verse 23, Shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of them who spurned me, see it. Verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, 
I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Hallelujah. Tonight we were talking about a, a, having a heart like Caleb. The word Caleb in Hebrew is kaleb, which could mean according to his heart. Ka means according to, lave means heart. Also, Caleb also means dog in Hebrew. It's kind of a paradox there. That God uses a man named dog. <laughs> God uses the weak and foolish things of this world. Amen? There's so much here. We can read on about Caleb, but Joshua 14 speaks about Caleb also. Let's read that. We're going to notice as we turn to Joshua 14 that there's two types, two people that took out giants in the promised land. And to take out giants required a pure heart and a heart fully surrendered to the Lord. Number one, it says that David killed Goliath. You all remember that, don't you? The reason God chose David is because God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16 says, God does not see how man sees. God sees at the heart. Amen? And because David's heart was surrendered, I read a psalm, O Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. As a, as a boy out there in the fields, worshiping the Lord, God chose him, hallelujah, above his companions, above Saul's house, to go and bring in the kingdom of God and later the messianic age through Jesus. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Think about it. Now, I don't know what is a greater miracle to you is that a young teenager knocking out a giant or an 80-year-old man knocking out three giants. It says here in Joshua 14 and verse 10, And now, behold, the Lord has let me live, jo uh, Caleb is speaking, just as he spoke these 45 years from now, from the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am 85, excuse me, I thought it was 80, 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out and coming in. Hallelujah. Toward the end of the message tonight, we're going to talk about how to get strengthened in the Lord. Hallelujah. It's a very key thing here. In verse 12, Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard that on that day the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out as he has spoken. Praise God. You didn't understand about the Anakim. The Anakim are, um, we don't understand where all the giants came from. You can look at, uh, I guess, Genesis 6 and try to study that. But the giants are basically huge race of beings that were totally demon-possessed or spirits. And if you trace Goliath's lineage, you'll see that he came from the Nephilim, which means the fallen ones. The Nephilim are related to the Anakim. In Hebron, or Hebron, there was a giant who had three sons. And Caleb went out and took out, an 85-year-old man took out three giants, the size of Goliath. There's something about when you get a fully registered heart for the Lord that he then downloads a Holy Ghost Patriot missile into you and you become a Holy Ghost Rambo and Ramboette. 
chapter right here if you look at verse 13 Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb the son of Jephthah for an inheritance therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb until this day because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully and when I say to my heart I say Lord give us Saskatoon Well, there's a lot of giants in the land. We're well able. Now, the time of Hebron, there was formed at Kithar Arba, which was the greatest man of Anakim. Then the land had rest for more. If you want to study about these giants, you can look here in chapter 15 and 13. Verse 13 of chapter 15. Now, he gave the kid of the son of Jephthah a portion among the sons of Judah according to the command. Verse 14. And Caleb drove them out, the three sons of Anak. Folks, these are huge giants. Eight to ten foot tall. Hallelujah. God is after a pure heart in this hour. That's what God is looking for. We read this last night. We'll, we'll repeat that. Second Chronicles. It says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth. Looking for somebody whose heart is completely his. It's one thing to be anointed. It's another thing to be anointed and have a pure heart. Saul was anointed. Saul was a mighty man of war. But look what happened to Saul. There's, you know, really, the way to look at it is David, excuse me, Samuel, Saul, and David. You have yesterday's man, today's man, and tomorrow's man. David represents tomorrow's man. Somebody of a different spirit, a different heart. Saul represents the today's man, which we, I really believe we've seen in the church today. We've seen a lot of gifting, a lot of charisma, a lot of anointing, but not much character. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I know what I'm talking about. We've had other people of yesterday, Samuel. We've had other prophets and spokesmen of the Pentecostal move that we are currently involved in that have said there's coming a great move of God. I mean, just Wigglesworth alone prophesied there's coming a great move that's going to combine all other moves to be the greatest move. Whole hospitals will be emptied. Doctors running down the streets screaming because all their patients are healed. They lost their patients. All the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation in the last days. Untold millions will be reaped. Hallelujah. We're at the verge of it. And what the Lord's doing, His eyes are going to and fro in this revival, this renewal looking for somebody who's of different spirit. We all run in the race. Paul says, run that you may win. After I preach to others, I buffet my body, lest after I preach, I myself be a castaway. under that. Hallelujah. Numbers chapter 10. <clears throat> we see that God's heart is for somebody whose heart is completely His. Not just to be born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen? 
the seven churches in Revelation got a swift rebuke from the Lord. One of them was, as you left your first love. Number two, hey, I know your perseverance. I know you hate Satan and the deeds of Nicodemus, but one thing I have against you, you left your first love. I want you hot or cold. Tonight, I just, all we need is just a few hundred people hot. That's all we need. That's all we need. If God can use a little shepherd boy, if God can use an 85-year-old man named Dog, if God can use a murderer, Moses, if God can use Paul, think about it, chief of sinners, how much more will he use us? It's all about the heart. It really is. And we know those things. It's good to be remembered by it. In Numbers chapter 10, there's a command here. In verse 8, The priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the shofars, and this shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the shofars that you remember before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feast, in the first days of your months, you shall blow the shofars over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifice of your peace offerings, and it shall be as a reminder of you before your God, I am the Lord your God. If you look at verse 5, it says, When you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. Meaning, how did this huge multitude of slave, former slave nation know that the glory cloud was moving when the trumpets were blown? There was people positioned, time to pack camp and head on because the cloud is moving. And I believe in this hour the cloud is moving. And the cloud is moving the church out of a wilderness experience into the promised land of his promises. And the Lord is looking right now. I mean, we are so blessed. I'm telling you, we are, I go to your bookstore. We have so much good teachings. We are blessed, folks. We are blessed. And I really sense in my heart that we're like, we're coming up out of the Negev, out of the Sinai, and we're coming up, positioning ourselves in Transjordan. And the Lord's now saying, go send out the spies. And I personally want to keep moving with the cloud. And don't say it can't happen to us because it happened to just the last generation. It happened in the healing revival, the charismatic. It happened in, I mean, you name it. Latter Rain, Salvation Army, Methodist Church, John Wesley, Martin Luther. It was always a move of God, and people just decided to camp at a spring and not move on anymore. You know, God didn't give us three years of refreshing for us to argue about manifestations. He's jealous. He wants our heart because he wants to show himself mighty in the earth. Think of the grace of God tonight, that God is so patient waiting for us to catch up with him. Because he wants us to be co-laborers with him. I mean, he could do it all himself. He could just speak a word. By his rod stretched hand, he spread the heavens. And they're still being spread. I mean, they're still expanding. <laughs> you want to see how big God is? Go out at night. Here, you've probably done it before, but go out and look at the northern lights. Go out and look at the Milky Way. Drive out there, you know, past the city. Just look. 
it'll inspire your faith. Get April 1997 National Geographic magazine. April 1997 has a special article about the Hubble telescope. And the Hubble telescope there has taken these pictures of these exploding stars. I mean, and it, this one star is exploding, so, and it's like going 100 million miles an hour. That's just one little star. It shows, they did an experiment with a Hubble telescope. They pointed it to the darkest quadrant of our universe, where very, very little light comes from. And they took a picture, 24-hour time-elapse photography, and it shows solar system after solar system, layered upon layered upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. We've got a big God, folks. And what is man? Who are we? We're just in the dust. Makes me just want to cry, I tell you. Hallelujah. So the cloud's moving right now, and God is looking for Caleb's and Joshua's who'll go and take the land. I don't care what the giants are. It says here in verse 33, as the tabernacle set out. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey with the ark of the covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And it came about when the ark set out that Moses would say, Rise up, O Lord, and let thy enemies be scattered. Let those who hate thee flee before thee. And when it came to rest, he said, Return thou, O Lord, to the myriads, the thousands of Israel. Let's turn in Psalms. I'm just laying a foundation here for what the Lord wants to do. Because we're not finished worshiping it. There's more stuff the Lord's going to do tonight in our hearts. It's going to be wonderful. Psalms 36. Verse 5. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. <laughs> you can't have a pity party looking at the stars. Thy faithfulness reaches the skies. Thy righteousness is like the mountains of God. Thy judgments are like a great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest man and beast. How precious is thy loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of thy house. And thou dost give them to drink of the river of thy delights. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thee we see light. The word delight there is a wonderful Hebrew word. It goes on here, chapter 37 and verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Hallelujah. I, like to, I just wrote this down in my Bible, and I want to read it to you. Hitanag is the uh, word delight. It means to take great delight, to refresh oneself, as we did last night, to make merry over, 
to pamper oneself in excess. This is what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to find out what gives Him delight in this hour. If we'll find out and enter into what gives God delight, He in turn will give you the desires of your heart. And those desires will be His delight because He implanted them there. And He'll lead you to the fulfillment of those desires. What's your desire tonight? What does God put in your heart? Pamper yourself in excess with it. Just can't stop praising His name. Just worship Him. I told the, the guys earlier back back in the back, I said, God's done a deep work in my heart this week. I don't know about you guys, but I feel very, very defrosted inside. I feel like I'm, there's some, the wineskin is stretching. Hallelujah. I feel like a little kid again. <clears throat> there's a new hunger inside of me I haven't had before. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you desires of your heart. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? It means to find out what gives Him pleasure. You know what gives God pleasure? You know what God's number one pleasure is? The fellowship with His creation. Hallelujah. That's why Abba came in the cool of the evening to fellowship with Adam. <laughs> he came in the cool of the evening to fellowship with His creation. Why was the Ark of the Tabernacle in the wilderness? For something that children of Israel to bow down to? No, so God could be close to His people. God was coming down on Mount Sinai. He says, I'm getting ready to show my glory. Tell the people, wash their garments and consecrate themselves, for in three days the Lord's going to visit Sinai. And the trumpet sound and the thunder and the lightning. Are we ready for the glory of God, folks? <laughs> Moses says, show me your glory. He says, no man can see my face and live. But I'll pass by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and you'll see my backside. And the Lord came to appear before Moses, and it says, the Lord, His loving kindness, His mercy, His divine God is love. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let me just show you a scripture here about God's desire to fellowship with his people. Exodus chapter 29 and verse 42. We're leading to something tonight, so hang in there. Exodus 29 and verse 42. I'll wait a few moments for you. It should be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. And I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be consecrated by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to minister as priests to me. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel. And, I, and will be 
their God. The word dwell is the Hebrew word shekhan. It's where we get the word shekinah glory from. Shekhan means neighbor. Get in the picture? God wants to be not only our neighbor, He wants to hang out with us. And He has set up, He's cleansed the heavenly things by the blood of Jesus so we could fellowship with Him and come boldly before the throne of grace. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He wants to meet with us. So God said that allowed David. David wanted to meet in fellowship with God so much. He worshipped God. Misachate, frolicked in God's presence, all of his heart. People despised him. He didn't care. He loved God so much. That God was, the, Philist, the ark was coming back up from the Philistines to come back into the city of God. And he was so excited about it. Every few steps, just making a sacrifice. As you mentioned earlier, he just got, he loved God so much, he just gave out of his own treasury billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Because he loved God so much. A man after his own heart. Who here will be in that same rank? Who here? It's an open door. It's up to you. It's not up to your pedigree or your education. It's just up to you stirring yourself up. We see David going out to Ziklag doing raids against the Philistines as though he was working for the Philistines. And he came back with all his men and he saw that the Ziklag, the, the uh, a marauding band had come, Amalekites, and just destroyed everything and stole it and kidnapped his wives and his children. And they took off. And the men were so upset at David, they said, we'll just kill David. And how did David maintain himself? It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Same thing what Caleb did. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. He strengthened himself in the Lord. I love you, Lord. Glory to God. He was of a different spirit than others. Who here will rise up for Saskatoon? Who here will just separate yourselves from legitimate pleasures of life and press in to know God? No matter how difficult it is to drill and break through the bedrock of the natural thinking. You know what, what we have to do in this hour? We have to break through the crowd and grab a hold of the hem of his garment. And guess what the crowd is in this day? It's our natural thinking and materialism. We have to break out of that. Amen. One thing that keeps us from breaking out, I believe, is the comforts we have in this age. You know what I'm saying? You know, we break a little sweat, man, we're uncomfortable. <laughs> we got lazy boy recliners. Now we got <laughs> massaging. <laughs> when I went to pick up a van for our family, they said, would you like the extra option? I said, what's the option? Well, we have captain seats that have... Uh, 
uh, vibrating captain seats for your, your back, back and your legs, especially the special lumbar. So what do I need all that stuff for? Fall asleep driving. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord wants us to sweat and make some effort to get into his presence. Amen? We have such sedentary lifestyles. That's, a lot, that's why we have so much disease in the 20th century. It's because, you know, it's because we don't work out enough. Yeah. Too much couch potatoes. It gets over you spiritually, too. I'm telling you, folks. Get your second win. I know when you start exercising and you break a certain barrier, it's hard the first couple of weeks to get back in shape. But once you break that barrier, then it's a second win. It's easier. And you go for the next one. That's why Paul talks about the hardworking farmer should be first partakers of the fruit. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Put some sweat into it and some discipline. Discipline followers, amen. And let's break out of the membrane of comfort and woo. The ball's in our court. I love what you said. What did you say today? You said, not desolation, but isolation. The Lord doesn't want to desolate us. He wants to isolate us. To go one-on-one -on -one with Him. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 30 of chapter 6, it says the same thing. You shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the ark of the testimony, where I will meet with you. Praise God. David got excited about the ark. He built a tabernacle for the Lord. His hands were stained with blood. He could not build the Lord's house, but Solomon did. God said to Amos and Micah, he says, you know what, Israel? I hate your feast. I hate your Sabbath. It's a stench in my nostril. Because the children of Israel said, we delight in the nearness of God. But they honored God with their lips, but their heart was far from Him. Hosea the prophet says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. The word knowledge there is da'at, which means intimate knowledge. It's one thing to stand outside and see the cloud of glory and see the ark of the tabernacle. It's another thing to go in there and grab a hold of the horns of the altar and stick your head inside the ark. <laughs> It's one thing to be scared of going into the presence of God. Another thing to be like David and go in there and eat the, own sh eat the showbread itself. Hallelujah. I just don't want to be in the outer perimeter anymore. I want to go and stick my head in the middle of the ark and smell Aaron's rod that's budded. Taste of the hidden manna and put my fingers across. Hallelujah. The hieroglyphics, old Hebrew of the, the plates that came down from Sinai. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm on a relentless pursuit for the presence of God. You know, instead of saying the word presence, we can almost become used to that word. Let's say the nearness of God instead. The nearness of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. The nearness of God. I'm on a relentless pursuit for the nearness of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. My and the Father will come and make our abode in you. So God's upset with Israel. They still don't get the picture yet. There is a, a remnant. That's seeking the Lord. Let's turn to Isaiah 66. 
I really believe that all the Old Testament points to this scripture. What God is, all the, the course of history, the rise and fall of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, that's so incredible. It all points to this one thing, my brothers and sisters. It's okay if I read Isaiah 64 first. Look at Isaiah 64 and verse 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at thy presence, at thy nearness. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make thy name known to thy adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy nearness. That's what happened in Finney's day when the nearness of God came. All the prostitution and, and beer saloons shut down in Utica, New York, Rochester, New York. Albany, powerful, why God came in the scene. That's all we need. We just need the nearness of God and bring the fear of God up and down Broadway and 8th Avenue and everywhere else. We're almost there. I feel it. We really are. Verse 3, now this awesome things we did not expect, that has come down, the mountains quaked at thy nearness. For from of old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither has the eye seen a God besides thee, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Thou dost meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness. Remember these in the way. Praise God. So Israel rejected the purposes of God. My, our ancestors rejected it, except for the remnant. Now Isaiah 65 says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who do not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who do not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which does not call my name. So Israel failed in their purpose to be close with the Lord. So God went to the nations now. And the call is before the nations. We're at a pivotal hour right now in the church, brothers and sisters. We can keep enjoying the presence of God in the wilderness, the cloud by day, the pillar by night, the hidden manna, the uh, healing, not one sick, your sh shoes not wearing out, but go on a, and refuse to enter into the new thing and go on another journey around the mountain until our carcasses drop and we go to heaven and God raised up another generation to go in instead of us. I really sense that. When I was at Washington for Jesus, a lot of hoopalaller, a lot of excitement, not much power. It was a time of transition. The night before we were to blow the shofar, I asked the Lord, well, what's all this big, it's a, a big Christian festival. We're not really here to take the nation. We're just here just making a lot of noise and having a worship, you know, and everybody patting themselves on the back and, you know, and whatever. And I said, Lord... I'm tired of this. We need more. We need senators and congressmen and their, their aides and lobbyists running out of the Capitol building, falling on the ground saying, oh, God, help us pray for us when God's with you. Instead of them mocking us. Amen? And the Lord spoke to me and says, the baton, the baton is passing, son, to a new generation. On that afternoon service, it was pouring rain. 
and several Christian leaders, if I mentioned their names, you would know them, got up and began to lay hands on younger ministers as a sign of patching the, passing the torch. I was like, wow. The last thing in Washington, Jesus asked me to blow the shofar. As I blew the shofar, the Lord told me the transition's begun. See, the shofar is not an instrument of music. It's an instrument of proclamation. At times, I feel the Lord blowing the shofar through me. It's Him blowing it. Powerful things have happened at Wall Street, other places. But that day when we blew the shofar, I knew it was a change. The cloud was moving. It was awesome, folks. The anointing was so strong that I walked off the platform and there was a Secret Service policeman there. And I, I walked up to him and I said, he goes, man, this is awesome. I said, would you like to get saved? He goes, yeah. Got born again right there. Wow. Hallelujah. We met the next Secret Service policeman there. He, got, he, got, he was a backslidden believer. He got rededicated his life that day. I found out later that Lester Sumrall died the night before Washington Jesus began. Lester Sumrall represents the last connecting link between those moving in revival now and those that used to remove in revival. Because he knew them all. Wigglesworth, Parham, um, of course, Billy Sunday. I mean, he knew all those guys. The Pentecostal pioneers, you understand? You may even have the book in there by Lester. He was the last connecting link. And before he died, many ministers asked him, write about your life story. Because you knew so many of these people that we now see as the fathers of the Pentecostal movement. And so he wrote, he knew, he wrote a book about it before he died. Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. And he died the night before Washington Jesus, which I see as a sign of Moses dying and a new Joshua Caleb generation coming forward. Hello, Joshua and Caleb's. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That old war horse went home and said, you guys run with it. I've finished my course. I've run the race. You run with it now. And that's what's happening this hour. We're going to see whole churches built on two philosophies of ministry. The philosophy of program or the philosophy of presence. One will be presence-based or program-based. The key is to be Presence-based and program-based secondary. That's it right there. That's it. That thing I just read to you, that's a successful, huge church in Houston. And God takes the pulpit and throws it before it even hits the ground. It splits in half. Hallelujah. Praise God. God is looking in this hour for people that will yield to Him. Right. Isaiah 66. I said all that as introduction, really. This is what the Lord put on my heart to share with you tonight. Isaiah 66 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Think about it. Get the National Geographic, 1997, April. Look at this, the pictures of our universe. That's the Lord's seat. And earth is his footstool. But the Lord says, where then is a house you could build for me? And where is the place that I may rest? 
For my hands made all these things. All these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know you, but my knees are knocking right now. <laughs> Jesus. I looked this up in the Hebrew. He says, where is the place that I may rest? Little Hebrew is, where is my resting place? Or put it even more, where is my Shabbat? Where is my Sabbath? God made everything in six days, but on the seventh day he rested. But guess what God's looking for? He's still looking for a place to rest. Expand your thinking. Another translation says, I wrote it down, it says, where is the place where I can fix my presence? It's not buildings. Human nature wants to build monuments to God. Jesus was transfigured, the glorious presence on, on that mountain. <laughs> Peter said, let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And God says, this is my son. Listen to him. <laughs> Man wants to build, build, build. Cathedrals, beautiful places. God's mobile, though. I really believe in this whole hour is that God is looking for a heart, a yielded vessel to be a mobile tabernacle where his presence is fixed within. And for us to get to that place, we have to tremble and become humble. Oh, that's why the fabric softener is here tonight. He's softening us. It blows my mind to think that I even can stand before you tonight and preach God's holy word. Some of you don't know my testament. When I got saved, I got saved. The glory of God visited me in a field on a college campus in 1979. I'd gotten saved the night before. The Shekinah glory came in a Bible study the next night, full of athletes, 30 athletes in a room. The glory of God just came in the window. It was later called, I found out, called the Shekinah glory. I didn't know what it was. It was this gold cloud just, just came in, just filled. It hovered about three feet underneath the ceiling. And uh, euphoria broke out. Baptists and Methodist football players were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And euphoria, joy, tears were breaking out. Keep the Bible study going out there for the athletes. Hallelujah. It just... And I got scared. I got like Jonah. I ran out of the room. And I ran out to the middle of this hay field. December, December 10th. Cold, chilly night. Looked up at the stars and I said... I looked around to make sure nobody was looking at me. Because I never really prayed before. And I tried to pray a prayer in Hebrew. Baruch Eloheinu. What's the rest of that thing? I forgot. And I was, I just, God is Jesus really the Messiah? And suddenly out of my belly came this river, this fluent Hebrew language. And as it rolled out of me, suddenly the interpretation, the best way to describe it is like, it came and went around me and then whoosh, right through me. And said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I've sent my son for the sins of the world and your sins. 
and then told me some things that my wife and I had to do for Israel in the future. <laughs> Folks, I was a mess. I mean, just one touch of his glory. I remember, I, all I remember is seeing the brilliance light up in the field, and all I remember is all I wanted to do was hide myself from him, and I fell down on the ground, and I remember my face was in the, the leaves and the, the hay and stuff, the, the cuttings, and I was just weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. And all I remember next is waking up the next morning in my dormitory room with my clothes on in bed. I have no idea how I got back to the room. I don't know how long I was even in the field. All I know is that I've been apprehended. I've been kidnapped. <laughs> Nothing satisfies anymore. Nothing can satisfy me. You don't mind if I cry a little bit, do you? Hallelujah. Oh, it's precious, folks, I tell you. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. When you meet him, folks, your life will never be the same. He just wants to bless you. He just wants to bless you. Just let him get near those hurt areas in your heart that you've been hurt. You build up walls and say, Lord, you can have the dining room and the, the hallway, but you can't have my bedroom. No, no, that's me. No, that's You can't have my closet upstairs. That's my archives. I want to keep, hold on to that stuff. Cut down all the perimeter fences. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why? Because you're his resting place. You're the place he wants to fix his presence. He could build himself the most glorious tabernacle. He didn't care about Solomon's, how many billions of dollars it meant. He could care less how big churches are. He's interested in people's hearts place that he can fix his presence but in this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word after I got saved the Lord said to me I went to a church and he says you're going to stand be, you're going to stand before my people and preach my word I have it right here I'll read it when he, when he spoke to me you hear this he said son my word that you bring forth will be like rivers in the desert and will bring the refreshing to my people he spoke that to me and I ran from that. I didn't want to stand before people. The only reason I stand before you today is just because he made me. <laughs> I was content in the ministry of helps. I enjoyed the ministry of helps. But he hemmed me in. He forced me to do this. I tried to go to law school and he cut my feet out from under me. I tried to do this. I tried to do that. He cut everything out and hemmed me in. Hallelujah. Everything that I thought I could do in my life, he just short-circuited. You are mine. I put my hooks in your heart and you can never run away. Hallelujah. So he's in the process of filleting me right now. Getting the bones out because he's caught me already. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, verse 1, let us fear while our promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should have seen become short of it. 
Indeed, we've had good news preached to us as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, I swore my wrath that you not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has thus said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in I pass, this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, this has been said before, today, Saskalon, Christian sinner, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken another day after that. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the Logos of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest. We do not sympathize with our weaknesses. The one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with boldness to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The door is open, my brothers and sisters. I don't know about you, but I want to set the pace in this race. Hallelujah. All I can remember was when I was playing soccer on that nationally ranked team, which didn't, doesn't mean a whole lot. And uh, we used to have to run two miles before practice even began. And I was so zealous to be a player, soccer player, that I, I used to sprint those two miles as fast as I could. Everybody on the team hated me. Because they had to keep up with me. Because we had to run in a column. <laughs> Everybody wanted to go, man, we got a heavy practice today, man. Just take it easy, Scott. Just, let's just, you know, let's do like a 10-minute mile today. Don't do a 5-minute mile. Come on. How to sprint ahead. That's my nature. To set the pace. Who wants to run with me? Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. I want to praise God. To go where no man has gone before. It's before us. It's before us. If you can fathom tonight, which I'm just trying myself to fathom, that God, the creator of the universe, is looking for a resting place. He's been waiting patiently for over 6,000 years. And his eyes are fixed on this place because he sees people's hearts that are hungry coming out every night, every morning. He says, just allow me to change you. Let me rearrange the furniture the way I want to. It's no longer your house, it's mine. You're my house. Hallelujah. 
the way that you can encourage yourself in this hour because your life will go tipsy-turvy in this hour because of the changes that will happen as God moves in. One way to stay strengthened is by God's grace. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, I'll begin, I'll begin to conclude. Paul is writing to Timothy. He's about to leave planet Earth, giving the care of the churches over to Timothy, the young apostle. In Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Messiah Jesus. Be strong in the unmerited favor that is found in Messiah Jesus. Another translation says, draw your strength from the grace which is found in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It's the grace, it's the love of God that can sustain us in this hour. The word here, be strong in the grace, is the same Greek word used in Philippians 4.13. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. Paul found the secret of how to be a base and how abound. It's by knowing the grace of God. That he was the chief of sinners. It is not by works, but by his unmerited love. Hallelujah. How, how, how many of you would like to do some swimming in the grace tonight? The Lord wants to love on us tonight. There's a wonderful anointing here. We're, we're not finished yet. We're just at halftime right now. If you need to use the restroom or get a drink of water, feel free to do so and come back. Praise God. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, we love you. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. As we humble ourselves, he'll lift us up. Ooh, yes, hallelujah. I sure love you all. He's changing us, isn't he? I'm just so thirsty. If that sermon was only for me, well, who cares? <laughs> I am so thirsty. To think that the God of the universe wants to fellowship with us. Not only does he want to fellowship, he wants to make his abode in us. encourage you tonight to get closer to God look at God as being Father Abba every time Paul writes a letter he says grace and peace be to you from God our Father 
Paul ends the letter, he says, grace be with your spirit. We are what we are by the grace of God. Thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming, running home to you now. In your name I pray, amen. Shalom, friends. This is Scott Holtz with Rivers in the Desert. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom.
אחת. 